Hey, well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you for joining our journey through the Scripture. Uh, we're excited to be beginning this uh, kind of new process. We're, this is only our, our third time. Uh, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. So we're the story of Noah. And so if you want to, take, take a minute, pause this, and uh, read those four chapters and then come back to us. Or if you're a speed reader, I'll give you just a second. All right, we're going. So I hope that you read fast. Uh, we're going to hit Genesis chapter 6. Again, the purpose of this is to kind of, for us just to go through the Bible, um, immerse ourselves in Scripture a little bit, maybe hear things uh, in a new way, or maybe hear things for the first time. And I, I'd really encourage you, uh, if this is something that you're enjoying, um, to, to share this, to share it on from YouTube or our podcast so that p- other people can, can listen and hear. Our hope is that this makes a difference uh, and impacts uh, in a positive way for those of you who have uh, read through the Scriptures maybe many times, but also for those who may never have read through the Scriptures, that this will be a, a fun way to, to look into it and to also gain some insights into the, the truth that we find from God. So we're now into the story of Noah, the story of Noah Uh, begins there in Genesis chapter 6. If you remember, uh, we've now moved from the Garden of Eden. Um, We've moved outside, and and God has called the people to go and uh, and fill the earth, Um, and they've started to do that. Uh, And now you have the time of Noah. Everyone knows the story of Noah. It doesn't matter if you've read the Bible or not. You've heard about the story of Noah, right? The animals getting on the ark, and uh, some people are very skeptical of that. Some people scoff at it. Uh, that couldn't have happened. Um, and, of course, I believe that it did happen. Uh, but I believe that the heart of the story is not just to tell us a story of a flood. It's to teach us some pretty hard and important truths of who God is, how He relates to us, what's important to God. And so you see that things start devolving quickly. If you remember... Back in all uh, six days of creation, what did God say? He said, it is good, right? God desires for things to be good. That's what he wants. He created uh, creation to be good. He desires for us to be good. Um, And what we have now in the time of Moses is that things are not good. In fact, things have devolved quickly. And they, they move quickly into an ugly place where there's lots of violence, and people are not doing good. The very beginning of chapter 6 goes into kind of the, the sons of, uh, of Adam and the daughters of Eve, and it's a little confusing. We don't know exactly what's going on there. We don't know if that was a, a kind of intermixing of the, the angels who were created, the heavenly beings, were interacting with the earthly beings. We don't, we don't really know. <laughs> There's lots of different directions you can go with that. We don't know for sure, but what we do know is that people have completely gone their own way, and they are not seeking to, to follow God's desire or the moral code that God has given, and they are not doing good in the world. And we see in verse 5, I think this is a, a, an, an important part of this because it's going to be reinforced a couple of times says, for the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of their thoughts of the human heart was on evil all the time. So all the inclinations were now evil. 
And it's important for us to, re- to re- remember that, that all of us have evil inclinations. All of us have good inclinations. We have to choose which one we're going to follow. And the people in Noah's day had chosen to follow the evil inclinations of their heart. And so God sees that and he says he regrets and his heart is deeply troubled, that God is saddened. You know, this is an important aspect to understand. When God sees the evil that is being done, he is grieved. He is saddened by that. Why is he saddened by that? Because look at what that evil does to his creation. That is why God is grieved and God is saddened. It's not just that he's mad that his creation, that people are going against what he asked them to do. No, he sees the results of it. He sees how people deciding to follow their evil inclination just leads them to do evil things. And it's important to make that distinction. Because sometimes we just look at God as this angry God that gets all mad when we don't do what he says. And and sometimes we think of that in terms of a parent and child, and, and probably we know as parents, there's sometimes things we ask our children to do that they don't do, and it's not because they're being evil, and we get really upset, not because they're doing something bad, but because they're not doing what we told them to do. It's like, hey, I'm your parent. You do what I tell you to do, right? And they don't do that. Well, God, that's not really what God is here. God isn't just upset that the people aren't doing what he had asked them to do. The reason that he's upset is because their evil is hurting other people, right? The, the violence that is going on is damaging his creation. And, and now everyone is participating in that. And so when we think of the, the harshness of this punishment, because it is, it is harsh, right? It, you know, it's, I always kind of laugh. Uh, one of the most common themes in children's uh, ministries and children's rooms and nurseries uh, in churches and things like that is the story of Noah, right? You have all the animals and two by two going to the ark. And and that's great. It's a wonderful story. But we can't really skip over the fact that this is a pretty brutal story, right? That humanity gets wiped out. And so how do we, how do we, recognize that? How do we wrestle with that? And the reality is because what evil was doing is it was already destroying humanity. Humanity was already destroying itself. And that saddens God. And that grieves God because that is not what he desires for us. God wants more for us. God wants us to experience the goodness of his creation. And so we, we see the, the flood story start to unfold. And so God decides, and as he's looking at the people, he sees Noah. And he recognizes that Noah is a righteous man. And it, it's interesting how it explains Noah in verse 9. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. It's kind of interesting that God is looking at Noah in, in comparison to the culture around him. This does not mean that Noah was perfect, as we're going to see. Noah was not perfect, but he was righteous in spite of the evil culture around him. He rose above the culture to be righteous, even though that wasn't something valued by the society around him. You know, you can choose to be righteous no matter what your culture or your society 
is dictating to you. Right? And that's who Noah was, that Noah was righteous even in the face uh, of a society that had completely turned away from God and was seeking to do evil rather than seeking to do good. And so he calls Noah. Noah goes, follows all that God says, gathers up the uh, animals in the ark um, to, to preserve life, which this is actually a huge sign of God's grace and his mercy that he wants to con- life to continue. He's not just wiping it all out. No, he, he wants his creation to continue. And so he's going to do that through Noah and his family and through uh, the, the animals that he has already created. And, and so we begin this process of the rains coming and flooding the earth, uh, and that goes for 40 days and 40 nights. Every time you see the number 40, that's throughout Scripture, it's recognizing completeness, wholeness, that is the fullness of time. And so, so the ark finally comes to rest. And, and as we think about that, we think about this amazing story of the flood. It's important to also recognize that many cultures during that time had flood stories and flood narratives. Right? But this one's very different. Most of the other flood narratives or no other flood narratives actually bases the cause of the flood on the importance of moral action. And so the reason that God sent the flood was not out of his selfishness or not because he was frustrated or not because uh, humanity had done something petty. No, it was because humanity was engaging in evil moral action. That is why the flood came. In all other flood stories, that's never the reason. It, it varies. Uh, there's many pagan stories of the flood. One of them, the gods decide to flood the earth because the humans were being too noisy and they couldn't sleep. So ah, we'll just flood the earth. Well, that, that would be a little frustrating if that was the character of our God, right? You'd want to turn down the volume as you're driving down the road, right? Those, those are the types of things that would uh, precipitate the cause of a flood. Uh, it never was about goodness, about the the good versus evil. That is exactly uh, why God decided to flood the earth. And so he does that, but he does rescue Noah and his family. They end up on the top of a a mountain. They come out. uh, You'll see that. And God uh, blesses them. He encourages them. They offer sacrifices to God. Um, And so God begins a new process. And in fact, God calls them and gives them a couple of very specific commands. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Continue to create, if you will. Continue to fill the earth. So they they needed to do this because, again, God has created this good creation. And as part of creation, we are kind of in the creative process, right? And so uh, he calls them to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, And then he says, and do not murder. Do not uh, take innocent life. And I want to talk about that here in just a minute. But again, and that that kind of goes to the fact that God is constantly trying to get us to do good. And on a big picture, just a little side here, on a big picture, God is trying to get society to do good in different ways throughout history. He starts off 
with Adam and Eve, and he gives them a conscience of where they can choose to do good or to, to disobey, right? And he gives them that uh, within them, that ability to, to choose that, to, to seek to do good, to seek to do evil. Well, we know that they end up seeking to do evil, right? That, uh, that ends up um, leading to the time of Noah, right? And then, so then after Noah, God tries to get people to do good by being a little bit more specific. He says, okay, Noah, here's some basic parameters. Human life is important, right? Don't take it, right? The, you should not murder. He gave the, the covenant that he makes with people, trying again to get them to be good. Noah, by the way, is not a Hebrew. He is not Jewish, right? He is just a person. So this is to, to all the world that God is saying this and encouraging all of creation to be good. And then what we see down the road is later he will encourage people to be good through the Ten Commandments and through calling out a specific group of people, the Hebrew people, also the Israelites, or what we would say today, the Jews, right? That through them, encouraging people, uh, urging people to be good. And then, of course, as Christians, we believe that God also does that through Jesus being the Messiah, right? That he reaches out again, again, encouraging us. It's time to start choosing to live for him. He's offering us forgiveness, offering us repentance, but choosing to live according to the ways that he has called us to live. So God has, is always about and has always been about seeking the good of creation and for us to participate in that. And as we, we get to chapter 8, you read through, you read all about the flood. Uh, in chapter 8, um, God is going to give a, a covenant between Noah, and he says, Never again will I curse the ground uh, because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Wow, that's a, that's a rough statement. All right, let me read that again because I think it is so important. He says, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Right? So what is, what is the reality here? Well, the reality is, is that we are not inherently good. <laughs> we are not just born, and if you just left us alone, that we would always choose to do good. Right? We are born and created with the capacity to do both evil and good. Right? But our inclination will be to do evil. And there's many reasons for that, but, but it's because just like Adam and Eve chose to seek themselves and make themselves as God, right? that leads to evil. That leads to evil action inevitably. And, and so when God says that this is an important aspect that we need to understand, and I think we have to be careful because what happens in societies quite a bit is we get to this place where we kind of think the default is that people are basically good. And that's just not reality. You know, you look throughout uh, history, um, we have seen some pretty brutal things throughout history, right? That are just indicate that people are not just good of themselves, right? There needs to be processes. There needs to be something that points us to why to be good and what goodness looks like. You know, you just think of all the things that have happened just in the past 
hundred years, the past century, where you would think that we have evolved, and we have in many ways, but we're still uh, in, uh, at, at the core, we have the capacity to do evil, and that's where we're going to go if we don't choose to follow God. And that, that leads to things like the Holocaust. It leads to things like happened within the Soviet Union. Millions of people uh, killed. In Cambodia, you see that. In Ukraine, millions of people were, were killed. Uh, in, in China, they're in uh, Mao Zedong. There were evil things that happened through that. You, uh, you see in all throughout history, <laughs> you see people doing evil. Right? And it's because at the core, <laughs> unfortunately, we were created with the capacity to do both evil and good. And just like Adam and Eve, we many times will choose to be gods ourselves. And that ultimately leads to evil and atrocities that are very hard to, to wrap our mind around. And one of the difficult things that we live in a society where most people in, kind of act basically good, right? Most people will, will do that. You may not experience every day people being evil to you. And so it's easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking, oh, everybody's just basically good. Well, there's some dangers with that. If we fall into that trap, some of the things that happen is that we forget the importance of the fact that children need to be taught to be good. Right? You don't have to teach your ch child to backtalk you. You don't have to teach your child how to throw a fit. You don't have to teach your child how to say no. Guess what? They're going to do that. Leave them alone. I promise you they'll get really good at it. We have to teach our children to be good. And guess what? That, I would rather my children be good than anything else. Teaching my children to be good is more important than them getting good grades. Teaching my children to be good is more important than their self-esteem. I would rather them learn self-control. <laughs> right? Now, that doesn't mean these other things aren't imp important. I hope that they do seek to have good grades. I hope that they do have a good self-esteem. But I, we have to be teaching our children the importance of being good. And if we don't, that evil inclination is going to come through. Then we also, as society, and we've seen this in Western societies across the world, the more we accept the reality that people are just basically good, you lose the reason for God. You, use the necessity, you lose the necessity for God and religion in any way, shape, or form. Why? Because, hey, people are basically good. Why do we need help? We're going to choose good on our own. If you believe that people are inherently good, then they're just going to naturally choose good on their own. So why add this idea of God and faith to this? Right? We, and then you could, you could, if you wanted, name all these bad things that have happened as a result uh, of religion. Well, we see that. Uh, we've seen that in Europe. We're seeing that more and more in the United States, becoming more and more secular. And, and I, I think that's a dangerous road to go down because, again, it's not true. And so you start to remove God, you're actually starting to remove some of those basic moral principles that hold society together. And that all stems from, the, an, or can stem from this idea 
that people are just inherently good, that they're just born good. And another danger, if we have that belief, is that it leads us to start seeing society and not the individual as, as uh, reasons for all evil. Right? So if people are basically good, then the only reason that they would do evil is because of the society around them. Now, there's something to the impact of society on people, obviously. Right? But it's a really dangerous place to get to, to the point where all blame is put on society. Because if we think that people as individuals are good, then we have to ascribe the evil that we see around us to something. And it easily becomes, well, that's just society's fault. That's culture's fault. That's government's fault. That's this policy's fault. That's somebody else's fault. That's my parents' fault. That's a, a dangerous place to do. All of those things may be contributing factors. But ultimately, you as an individual, all of us have the capacity to choose to do evil or choose to do good. And we, we need to realize and to understand that the, the reality of what God has call, ta- taught us about that. Because if not, it leads to really ugly places for society. You know, what can easily happen is we start teaching people to fight against society rather to fight against their nature to do evil. And that that is not good. Our first battle, all of our first battle, is between us and our nature. And are we going to choose to do good, or are we going to choose to do evil? That is where I believe more energy needs to be put. That does not diminish the fact that there are lots of problems with societies, with systems, things like that. We can deal with that, and we should deal with that. But, but not at the expense of recognizing that, hey, that first struggle that we need to do as individuals and as a, as a people is that we need to battle with that uh, desire for us to whether we're going to do good or whether we're going to do evil. That is something I see within our society, and I, I think we're, we're headed in, a, in, a, in, a, in the wrong way in many, many times. Uh, and again, this all goes back. Why would we do that? Why would people have this idea that people are inherently good or basically good? Well, because if, you, if, if you're not going to acknowledge God as being supreme and recognize the order that you are below God, it becomes really depressing when you see all the evil around you right? because you can't fix society. You can do all that you can, and you can change political systems, you can change governments, you can change presidents, you can change dictators, and guess what? You're still going to see evil. Well, that, that's miserable, right? And people, if, if, whenever you're stuck in that mode of having put, put God aside, that is a depressing place to be. It is much healthier because it is true when we look at God as He is the one who is created. He is the one who is supreme. He is the one who is over, uh, over all. And goodness flows only from Him. And ultimately, goodness 
only comes from us when we are following his moral ethical code. That's where it comes from. And that can build a society, but it has to keep the right order, as we talked about uh, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that God is supreme. That is vital for us to understand. And as we close out uh, in chapter 9, uh, there at the end of chapter 8, uh, chapter 9, we see uh, that God continues to call Noah and his family. We have this weird situation where <laughs> Noah's, Noah's son uh, disrespects Noah because Noah gets drunk, um, which is a crazy way to end this, which is, is kind of interesting. So Noah gets drunk. His One of his sons, Cain, uh, Ham, who is the father of Canaan, uh, makes fun of him. Uh, the other two sons come and cover Noah up, um, and it's kind of this disrespectful uh, act by Noah's sons, and, and God takes that very seriously. Uh, and that's the last we hear of Noah. Here's Noah, this righteous man. The last image we have of him is being drunk. And it was interesting, I was reading, a, it's called the Rational Bible, uh, on a commentary over Genesis, and it said, you know, that actually teaches us about the dangers of alcohol. <laughs> that, you know, this isn't specifically saying don't drink, but um, you better be careful. You know, and the, the lasting image of Noah that we have is this image of him passed out, being made fun of by his disrespectful kid, right? And uh, that, that's, that's something that maybe we should, all should, should consider a little bit. It probably, probably helps society out quite a bit. Um, but the chapter 9 ends uh, with the, the nations uh, continuing, and, and we know that, that that's going, the people are going to continue to be fruitful, continue to multiply, and that's going to bring us uh, to chapter 10 on Thursday. So look forward to seeing you then. I encourage you, interact any way that you would like. If you have comments, if you have questions, uh, feel free to do those through Facebook, through YouTube. Uh, we can listen to us on our podcast as well. Uh, but hope that you enjoyed this story of Noah. And uh, we'll be just two chapters next time, Genesis chapter 9 and 10. Look forward to seeing you on Thursday.